0: Kirk Kroc is a Canadian trailblazing freediver who founded Performance Freediving International and recently worked on the Avatar sequels. He joins us this week on episode 94 of Dive in the Podcast. It's episode 94 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Kirk Kroc for his second part of his two-part series with us.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the two thousand and four World Championships? Um, it's kind of one of those things I feel like, you know, modern day Canadian freedivers kind of don't know a lot about, but it was pretty significant. And was it the if I'm not mistaken, one of the only cold water championships ever held? Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So it was the fourth Ada World Championships, two thousand and four uh, and CAFA at the time. We were very strong, very successful, and we just decided you know we should we should put in a bid, and it was between us and egypt, and we managed to win the bid with a very dynamic you know offering um but at the same time, you know people were pretty used to you know paying a hundred euro and getting their hotel and everything paid
1: right mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: and ours was listen, we're not going to lose money on this and uh so ours was like six hundred bucks, so there was some people in Europe were like, "What do you mean I have to get on an airplane? And what do you mean I'm going to have to pay money to compete?" <laughs> it's like, "Yes, you're going to have to do what the rest of the world does—travel, <laughs> right?" right? Um, and um, yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, we had just shy of 80 total athletes. I mean, we had Greece, we had Mexico, we had you know a lot of the main competitors at that at that time. And, uh, and, uh, we had some really amazing, um, weather and, uh, we streamed the videos and, you know, we, we did everything we did and we, um, we, we go to the, the, um, the jury or what do we, what do you call it? Um, where all the athletes or the coaches go to the. Yeah, the the judges conference or whatever it was. At the end of the day, you know, just normally you go there and you sit there and you just listen to the coaches, like, grievance after grievance. Mm. This didn't happen and this didn't happen and this, you know, and it just becomes these drag-out matches. And I was like, so, anybody have anything, they, you know, any problems? And everyone was like, no, it was great. Great day today. And we're like, okay, cool, you know. (laughs) Starting list will be out at 9 go have fun. (laughs) And, um, yeah. And, and we just really did some innovative things. And at the time I thought, let's set the bar this high and everyone will catch up and we'll just keep moving, free diving forward and forward. And the bar was to like the next day show a five minute video of the day. We actually had the first time we had streaming. We refreshed our website every minute with every result. So we had live updates of the results. This is 2004 streaming video when there was no YouTube, you know, safety, like all of this stuff. And, uh, and it just, it went nowhere. Just, you know, I'd go to competitions and I'd go as a coach and then I'd have people coming up, Kirk, you got to train the safety free divers. You know, do you have rope? What do you mean? Do Do you have rope? We need another, we need another competition line. It's like, yeah, here I am in, you know, whatever Egypt. Yeah. Okay. I've got rope. Yeah. Here's my kit. (laughs) Run your competition. Yes. Let's take a day off competing and I'll train your safety Mm. divers how to safety free dive. Um, and it just kind of always bothered me that we just Mm. couldn't organize like, you know, let's move the game forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Still seems to happen from time to time, but we won't go there.
2: <laughs> yes, what he says with a big heavy sigh.
3: <sighs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm bouncing around here a bit, uh, but I want to go back to departing Cayman and, and founding PFI. What exactly is PFI and what's his guiding philosophy?
2: Yeah, so PFI is Performance Freediving International. Um, mm-hmm. Brett and I had just been to the Dima Trade Show that January of 2000, and we were somewhere between. LA and Vegas. And we're driving in a rental car, going to a free dive party, predominantly spear fishermen, with Terry Moss and Jack yeah. Bombrich and all of these other guys. And trying to say to Brad, okay, we got to come up with a name. We're going to, we're going to start this, you know, free di- people want us to teach them free diving. You know, it's got to be like, you know, high-end freediving. It's gotta be high tech. It's gotta be like a performance. It's gotta be high performance. It's gotta be performance freediving, right? And that's how we came up with the name. Um and really it was <clears throat> I trained Tanya to a national world record, had trained Brett to a national world record, um, had worked with Pepine and Audrey and a and a bunch on these different world records, had developed an educational system, basically moved away from that with Papine Mm-hmm. And was now going out on my own, and Brett and I had been approached about teaching, and really, it was there was no safety in freediving. I mean, the amount of fatalities that would happen, predominantly, because think freediving then was spearfishermen. Mm-hmm. Like there was competitive, but the majority of it was spearfishing, and they were dying left, right and center. And I thought, this is the most insane thing. Day one of the course, the first thing we're going to start with is safety safety and problem management. Let's set the tone. Let's get it out of the way. Let's rip the bandage off the sore. Mm -hmm. And let's not think that this is some venereal disease we can't talk about. And we basically just straight up talked about what shallow water blackout is, eventually moving away from that term to encompass what it really means. And we just brought into the first thing we did was just safety, safety, safety. Once we know safety, Now we can perform technique, and then once we know technique, then we can work performance. So really it was about teaching people how to free dive safely. Then let's work technique, and then out of that will come performance. And that's really kind of what we got known for at the same time as performance free diving was continuing to train athletes, and that's where Mandy Cruikshank Came along, Martin Stepanik came along. That's you know worked with Eric Fatah and uh, Carolyn Meyer and you know a whole a whole host of them. Um, and so Ashley Chapman eventually. And so yeah, we've done um, we've done a, a a lot of work in that way. And we were the first to get the first organization, really with a proper organization mm. um, that had standards and procedures and a philosophy and supporting materials but we didn't have a uh, liability insurance. Um, and, but we were the first to be approached by an uh, insurance company to say, listen, we're going to get into freediving at some point, but you guys are going to be there first because you have a proper system that's, you know, got a validity against it, has a risk mitigation and a risk management uh, format to it that just isn't, let's go deep. You know, yeah. it's about safety first, and so we were the first to actually get proper professional liability insurance for a freediving organization, a standalone organization. Mm. And um, and and now there's you know everyone's into it, and there's there's and and in some ways you know it's unfortunate because I've seen the race to the bottom in a lot of ways. You know, I've seen standards that initially came out where, as the instructor, you could float while your student went to 30 meters, and you just stayed on the surface. You know, so like just wanting to get into the game to create these minimum standards. And it was like, come on, this this isn't even safe from a snorkeling point of view, let alone <laughs> what's your student doing at 30 meters? And why aren't you meeting them at 10 yeah. meters? Like just basic safety things. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of became in some ways this race for market share. You know, there there's a point where, you know, as a scuba instructor, you could go and take a course from me an entry-level program from me, but because you're a scuba diver, you can now also teach free diving. That's like saying, oh, you know, I'm a bungee jumping instructor. Uh, Last weekend, I tried parachuting for the first time. I can now teach parachuting. It's the same. We both fall through the air. What's the difference, right? And I just thought how stupid that is. You wouldn't wouldn't say to a recreational scuba instructor, oh, you read about Trimix. How hard can it be? We all breathe off tanks and blow bubbles. Let me go teach Trimix. So why would you allow a scuba instructor yeah. to do the same thing, right? So yeah, in some ways I've seen that kind of race to the, the the least hard or the lowest common denominator of standards to just, you know, get it in, get it available. Mm. And at but at the same time, there's a lot of really good programs that have come out of it as as well, right?
1: Mm. Would um would you say that PFI contributed to, to the education of the sport. And, and I know you mentioned a little bit about training material. And, and was it just because you were first that there was significance, that it was significant for its time?
2: Um, I mean, we were first, but I mean, we really focused on, on developing a good, solid, proper educational system. I mean, counterbalance i mean that's Mm. something we brought to it the idea of recovery breathing the idea of um meeting at one third um you know kick cycle counts as a means of doing your thing um the instructor system let's face it there was a lot of instructor systems where throw a card in the air and if you could grab it before it hit the floor you could also be an instructor too (laughs) And, and we, we had a system where it was, it, you know, you had to do, we're the first to integrate capacity dives. It's one Mm -hmm. thing to say, oh, I can dive to 20 meters or 40 meters, but can I work there repeatedly with my five Mm -hmm, to six mm -hmm. students for the next 50 dives I have to do in that two and a half hour session? Can you do the work (laughs) of what the instructor needs to do? Um, and we brought in, uh, a level of instructor training that was, I think, quite significant other than let's go dive. Hey, you're a great free diver here. Let's make you an instructor. Welcome. Welcome to the club. Right. (laughs) Right. And, uh, listen, I, I have, I have not passed a lot of instructor candidates who I know would not continue with us and went other routes because we were difficult. And it's mm. not that we were difficult. We had high, ex- high expectations. We want you to, to succeed and train and and make a photocopy of yourself, right, In which is in your students. And so you better be a nice, clear, crisp, clean copy because the photocopy always loses a little bit of the image. <laughs> um, and if you're fuzzy to begin with, <laughs> the image is only fuzzier. And that was kind of the idea about it. Hold ourselves to the highest standards.
3: How you feel PFI has
2: evolved then
3: since its inception? Because that's that's a tremendous amount of work to have accomplished. So it's just—is that what you envisioned it to be? And how has it involve, evolved in that time?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's—I uh, mean, it's—it's it's evolved. Um, it's done what it needs to do, and it's and it's in its place. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm no longer a major shareholder in it anymore uh, it's uh, it's moved on with international training i still have uh, a bit of an interest in it um but it's being managed by international training as part of tdi sdi erdi um first response as part of their whole program and you know remember what i said before it, earlier in the podcast is that you know i'm a hole diver i am known for the last 20 years as a free diver and I've done some pretty significant things from, you know, the industry point of, of free diving, I think. But, um, you know, my, my, my roots start in free diving, but go into mm-hmm. scuba into technical. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think what, f- what PFI did was start an expectation of a level of professionalism and standardization that everyone followed. Cause up until that point, it, there was nothing, mm-hmm. and it would have been so easy for it to continue to be very ad hoc, throw instructor cards in the air, and we created a, a you know a, a bar of professionalism and 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 systems in place um, by which a lot of, I think a lot of organizations modeled themselves after
1: you and Mandy Ray Correction Coach. David Blaine to a a 17 minutes plus static apnea um, record on on the Oprah show. Can you tell us a little bit about that event and and what, because it was a fairly public event, what it signified for freediving and how freediving might be viewed by the public?
2: Yeah, so with David Blaine, well, two years prior, so in 2006, we had done Drowned Alive. Right, where he mm-hmm. tried to break the world record which we knew was going to be a hard thing after being submerged for seven days the longest submergence ever done not <laughs> being allowed out of the water for one hour every 12 hours like Guinness had allowed previous mm-hmm. um, and then on Oprah yeah, 100% oxygen for 23 minutes I think is what it was. And then 1704, was that what you said? I forget. I think so. Yeah. 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 Interesting. The week prior in the Cayman islands, he had done over 24 minutes. Wow. Wow. So, um, but you know, now we're live and it's Oprah. I mean, who's not going to have an (laughs) elevated heart rate when, you know, the queen of talk shows is so tell me David Blaine. Um, no. And I think it was just, it was really, I think it was interesting. It was, it was great. There was, you know, some good kind of ideas of science and the risks and stuff that could come out of it. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, but it's, in some ways it does muddy the water of what is the world record in breath hold? Cause mm-hmm. right. oxygen, no oxygen, you know, there's some free divers out there who like to say they're the world record holder of 24 minutes, <laughs> you know, holding their breath come on say it <laughs> You mean to say <laughs> with oxygen right um yeah it was it, it was fun and it kind of got it out there I think a little bit more there, were, there was this time in early 2000 when we walked along the beach and we did this as CAFA we walked along um English Bay um and just would stop excuse me I have a question for you do you know what freediving is and people are like what you know (laughs) free free driving free what that skydiving (laughs) different type of sky naked skydiving is that what you're doing you know they just had no idea what Mm -hmm. it was and today you walk 20 years later you walk along the park and you ask people hey do you know about free diving oh yeah and they'll know records they'll know names they'll know sigourney weaver's doing it on avatar i mean Mm. you know it's crazy where it is it is a it is a still maturing industry but you know, it's, it's there.
3: Well,
0: five years ago, when we started offering at the dive shop, there was a lot of calls for their free scuba diving courses.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> so I ran a, that's funny, Justin, I ran a research program at Simon Fraser for seven years, right? 12 mm-hmm. week programs, you know, come in as a s- swimmer snorkel scuba diver, but you couldn't be a free diver. Right. And, uh, the first night we're like, okay, well, welcome to the program, blah, 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 blah. And this guy's like, wait a minute. Isn't this like, scuba diving, but I don't have to pay him. We're like, no, this is a 12-week research program. <laughs> snorkeling, this is like snorkeling, but really on the extreme side. And he went on to continue with us. Um, yeah, Greg, yeah, it was funny. Awesome. Great guy and went, became part of Team Canada and became an athlete and went to Egypt oh, wow. with us.
3: Yeah, Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you, now you kind of alluded to this, but Uh, How did you first tune into this idea of using enriched gashes uh, for freediving?
2: Yeah, so technical freediving. So that's that's interesting one. so Tanya was, we were training Tanya Streeter, um, when was this, 98, I think, something like that. Um, And uh, no, 97. Anyway, somewhere in (laughs) there, somewhere in the late (laughs) nineties and we were training for her no limits record. And, um, we had just done this, you know, this, this good deep training session. I had two friends who were still decompressing Tanya and I were on the boat, just, talking about you know the dive and the, the pitfalls and what worked and what didn't and and I thought I got to go check on my my friends who are still decompressing because they were supporting her from like 400 feet and, and or maybe 300 and shallow or so but while we we're on the boat there was this bottle of 80 percent of someone who had just got out of the water and I was kind of breathing on it because you just get used to being a technical diver whenever there's 80 just <laughs> go on it right um don't waste the last bit of the 80%. <laughs> and uh so I, you know, took one breath, jumped off the boat and started talking with them and talking, you know, hand signals underwater and then writing on slates. And my buddy Dan was like looking at me and like, you okay? I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, you know, signaling them and then writing some more and then a minute later he's like are you okay? And he's like signaling me up. You okay up? And I'm like, no, you know, I keep writing on the slate and then I realized, you know, I forget whatever time I got to. And I was like, Oh damn, wow. i have been down here a long time. So I went to the surface and realized 80%. Well, of course. And, uh, Mm. so that had always stuck with me. So fast forward, some years and I started kind of playing a little bit with it and then we started doing some more movie type things with Waterborne and some other properties that I've been involved in and started using 32% for filming and uh, just you know made a huge huge uh huge difference and so developed this idea of tech and then obviously David Blaine and 100% Oxygen there on the Oprah show and And started developing the concept of technical freediving and and turning it into, you know, a a protocol. Because, I mean, it's one thing to say it, but, you know... that's where people go out and hurt themselves right i got Uh a oxygen bottle i'll just go breathe that and go to 30 meters um not knowing how they're gonna have oxygen toxicity and so yeah i developed it And, and one of the things i did was end up we went to truck lagoon and we did technical scooter free diving and using scooters to go into that as deep as 65 meters um but no work um you know all GoPro and lights on it, and we'd use a high and a low mix. So we'd come up from a dive, go onto our 80%, breathe off that for a known calculated period of time, switch to a low mix as long as it was correct. So, for example, if we were diving on a wreck in 40 meters, 130 feet, we'd use a 32. So we'd switch to our low mix, 32 and then go play. And so I was doing, I think my longest dive was six minutes, 15 seconds around this wreck multiple times. And what we were able to do was decrease 40% of the surface interval time. Um, So we knocked off 40% of the surface interval time that we should have done. So not Mm -hmm. only was I doing these multiple six minute dives, but I was doing it with 40% less time. Um, And you know, that's technical freedom. So I'm a purist, like, listen, we should all just be butt naked out there holding our breath. That's the purity of freedom. No goggle, no swimsuit. That's true freediving if you're an absolute purist. However, if you wanna stay warm or see something and you put a mask on, you're now kind of bastardizing that purity thing. So anyway, so um, as far as technical freediving using oxygenated mixtures, it's really, it's supposed to be the right tool for the job. Mm -hmm. So if you're a freediver who's just going out to have fun, Yeah. Do it on air. But if you're doing things that require or put you at potential risk because of the repetitiveness or the duration or things like this, then use the proper tool for the job. Same thing as we use nitrox. Why dive air when you can dive 36% when you're doing a. 80 foot dive 100 foot dive 30 meters right and so yeah filming is a great one um repetitive dives because of documentary filmmaking and and a number of things like that safety free diving is a no-brainer why would you not want to have 32 percent and have yourself a little extra buffer in your back pocket if you find yourself in that situation where you have to stay longer or have to do those repetitive dives over and over and competitive free diving. You know, if you've got a line A and B and line B, it tick tocks back and forth every 10 minutes, you know, and you just got to be on time and going. So, and, you know, when I run Deja Blue competition, those safety divers are doing that for, you know, three weeks. We're banging off. Just incredible amounts of dives in a day. So, um, obviously this is something that I brought into avatar and we've done, on Avatar, just in LA, we've done a quarter million free dives. In and oh, the most we had at one time holding our breath underwater was twenty six people, cast, wow. crew, stunts, film people, grips, because we could have no bubbles in the tank, and we used anywhere from fifty to eighty uh, percent oxygen. I mean, we went through thousands of bottles of eighty cubic foot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 50 or 80%. You know, we had our own blending trailer and no problems. I mean, there was a hypoxic problem prior to me getting there, but really (laughs) none that led to a disruption in the workflow. Cause you know, every day you're there, millions of dollars are being spent. And the last thing you can do is push an actor. You know, my actors were six years old to 69 years old they were supposed to be like waterborne people or they were supposed to have been, you know, this is water for the first time. And, um, and so, you know, get the job done, do it safely, do it repetitively. And after a 16 hour work day in the tank, start again on Saturday morning at six in the morning and hopefully do it with a smile on your face day six. Right.
3: Yeah.
4: So what are some of the main risks for technical free diving? Can you get the bends doing it?
2: Yeah, no, that's a really good question, April. So, I mean, a lot of good advantages. So talk about advantages first, right? Yeah. So I can do, I can get a longer breath hold time. I can get shorter surface intervals. Um, I can remove decompression stress, that that tired, excessive tiredness that we can sometimes feel. Um uh, from nitrogen loading and gas loading and unloading. So all of those could be good benefits, right? Give me a, a safety factor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the risks are, are there's, there's several of them, but they're easily managed if you know the protocols. And so oxygen toxicity being a big one. Um, oxygen under certain pressures or partial pressures affects and becomes toxic to your neurological or your central nervous system. So, um, central nervous system, oxygen toxicity, or, or we know it by convented C O N V E N T I D, right? Convulsions, vision, hearing, nausea, twitching, irritability, and dizziness. That's how oxygen toxicity affects your central nervous system. The biggest risk being that of convulsions. Like Mm. Suddenly you're convulsing and having a seizure underwater and you're not controlling your airway and you're not swimming to the surface. So you can't just willy-nilly grab some mixture of something and 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 go and do a breath hold or do a dive with it be- because of it. There's also handling issues with uh using oxygenated mixtures. The equipment it needs to be compatible, it needs to be serviced, it needs to be cleaned. There's, you know, how we turn a tank on and off due to mm-hmm. adiabatic compressions, just high compressions creating mm-hmm. heat. How we keep fuels out to to make sure the fire triangle, which needs oxygen, a fuel and an ignition source, right? So all of these protocols and then look at the vast majority of freedivers. How many of them are scuba divers? right? So how do you put together a system? How do you handle an oxygen service piece of equipment? Um, so what we teach in technical free diving is really a surface based. It's not about breathing compressed gas underwater. It's about breathing, using a scuba system, but on the surface as your means of alt, you know, altering the, the oxygen percentage you're going to be using. And, and so that's the whole idea behind it. Now, there's accumulations of oxygen toxicity or whole body oxygen toxicity and whole bodies affecting the lungs it's the it's the oxygen within the lungs that kind of causes edema swelling and that sort of thing but those generally accumulative effects we don't have to track so much because we are really more time on the surface than we are underwater um, and our durations are small so really really what we're talking about is is uh overall single time oxygen exposures, creating a toxicity issue to the central nervous system and that of handling. And then there are you know decompression issues and elements there that, that are lessened by, ox- by uh, using nitrox or oxygenated mm-hmm. mixtures. So um, those have to be taken into account, but those are things you learn in your basic freediving program right so anything you'd be using technical wise would only be kind of to your benefit mm. besides the compressed lung you know compressed gas lung uh problems from expansion which it's a surface gas so i go to a lot of com you know i've been to a lot of competitions and watched free divers who have no scuba training you know at five plus meters sucking on oxygen Uh, doing their decompression. And is there an advantage to doing it at five meters? Yes. Not as much as there would be for that technical diver, scuba diver who needs to do it at five meters and keep the bubble size, um, you know, under control when decompressing from a large amount of saturation. And the thing about free divers is we are sensitive more to type two, uh, decompression issues, things that are more neurological and spinal cord issue. Um, I mean, I've had two years ago, almost two years ago, I took a type two neurological hit, uh, scooter free diving in the Cayman Islands and ended up having a chamber treatment and and going through some rehab of my own making um, coming out of that. So like I said, you know, I sometimes beta test my own things, (laughs) sometimes not so successfully, but that's why that's why we were the PFI was the first to bring in, um, surface interval protocols because <laughs> I did that 20 years ago. <laughs>
1: right. So when you've finished beta testing, when, uh, can we expect to take a technical freediving course from PFI?
2: Yeah, no. So right now, um, so it's built and it just comes down to, um, insurance, right? It comes down to, there's Lloyd's of London, there's the people who <laughs> insure, and there's the people who, you know, design and everything. And so hopefully that would be soon, you know, I mean, I've trained a lot of people in it, people mm-hmm. in my close orbit and that I work with, especially on Avatar, we've done a lot of it. But as far as a standalone program, I would hope to see something we'll, we'll have this uh, in this new year.
0: Wow, oh, cool. That'd Very be awesome. Time me up. Yeah, right. I think we'll take a quick break here and be right back with more. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. Remember, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. Reviews are one of the best ways to help others
3: find the podcast. This episode of Dive in the Podcast is brought to you by Torpedo Rays Scuba.
4: You can find them online at torpedorays.com.
0: They've been teaching Canada how to dive for 25 years and are a proud sponsor of this podcast.
4: If you're in Atlantic Canada and want to take a course or see the shop, stop in and see us in Dartmouth and check out the huge selection of scuba, apnea, surf gear, and much more.
3: Dive tours are available for locals and visitors to experience all that our ocean playground has to offer. TorpedoRays.com has
0: a vast selection of dive gear at unbeatable prices with free shipping available in Canada and quick shipping throughout North America.
4: So visit TorpedoRays.com or stop in the shop and you might even see one of us there.
0: You were talking about Avatar there a lot, uh, Avatar 2, but you've also worked on a bunch of other stuff. Cove, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, Suicide Squad. How how did you initially get involved in that uh that Hollywood kind of uh thing and and how's it going? I mean, obviously it's going pretty amazing, but
2: yeah. Um well the Cove was we were at uh uh we're at a Dema Trade show and mm-hmm. uh the expedition leader and and the director, Louis Ahoyas, kind of came across us there and and that's how we got involved in that. And that was originally going to be a 30-minute discovery channel. Excuse me, a discovery channel type uh, program. Mm -hmm. which then ended up turning into a academy award winning documentary feature documentary um and then yeah and then the next one really so i did a lot of kind of my own little you you know i'm pretty prolific at the time in in producing a lot of little vignettes of videos and things like that but um yeah, I was at a DEMA show one another time. And I got this call, I got this email from this guy and I recognized him. He was a producer Mm. uh, with bad robot, uh, executive producer at bad robot. And he's Kirk, give me a call. So I call him up and he says, listen, you know, normally they'd be NDAs and all this sort of thing. Don't have time for it. Listen, it's Tom Cruise. It's mission impossible. And we needed you here a month ago. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, and he's like you know he laid out kind of what the whole thing was and how would you Mm -hmm. handle it and so you know i kind of told him i sent him a little email of what i thought and got home from dima and the next day mandy wakes me up and says listen they want you on a noon flight what (laughs) (laughs) yeah they want you on a noon flight to the uk so you know i said well listen how about tomorrow so anyways day later i'm spent two and a half months in the uk um training tom cruise for rogue nation and um you know that was amazing and we Mm -hmm. did a lot of great things and uh we ended up doing some diving in the cayman islands one time as well um over the christmas break we ended up training doing some training in florida but the weather had kind of pushed us out and we had been helicoptering into a into a uh uh, grotto north uh in north florida and we had bottomed that out at 20 some meters mm-hmm. and he was saying geez you know i wish we could get into some deeper depths and i said well if we could get to the cayman islands i mean we could get you to 40 meters and lo and behold <laughs> two days later we're on his private jet flying to the cayman islands and you know my wife and at the time and my daughter kyla and we're <laughs> going <laughs> on with tom cruise on his jet to the cayman islands and <laughs> two dive sessions later he bangs off 40 meters like a champion and the guys just <laughs> just incredible assimilation of information mm-hmm. his ability to do it and just take information into neural pathways into body and just get it done so anyway um yeah did rogue nation and then uh, a couple years later it was suicide squad and that was a lot of fun so i was there mm-hmm. to train margot robbie also did some stuff with uh scott eastwood and uh and some of the other cast but really it was for margot robbie and she amazing lady um you know really talented as well and and did some really good breath holds there i also got to be batman so there was they were saying hey so uh kirk you know anyone with your jawline but you know six foot (laughs) a little taller than you six two that can free dive, and I was like, um, "Yeah, I'll find you some people tomorrow." Yeah, I was like, yeah. "Me, I'm close <laughs> enough." And they didn't tell me why. And then, because it wasn't even known on the set that Batman was in this movie at the time. And so the next day, I'm, I'm showing them a couple of people, and they're like, "No, no, no." And they said, "How would you like to be Batman?" And I was like, I'll go get back alley leg extensions if you need me to be six too. Are you kidding? My wife's going to be able to say, I slept with the Batman. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and so, yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that's the claim to fame. My daughter brags about it all the, t- the time. Yeah. yeah My fantastic. daddy's Batman. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna
0: to start talking about how I interviewed Batman.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) right um so so then avatar came about this is a funny story just you know let me entertain you for a second so um so it would have been around 2016 i think um i was in yvr vancouver airport and i was flying off somewhere you know you have to realize for 20 years i was on the road about 40 to 48 weeks out of a year, right? And my family would join me for 12 of those, three weeks here, three weeks there, that right. sort of thing. So, anyways, I'm at YVR Airport. I'm at the Starbucks waiting for my coffee, and I look, and who do I see walking down the, you know, down the hallway? It's James Cameron and four other people. I'm like, oh my God, where's my coffee? I gotta go introduce myself, right? <laughs> I mean The Abyss, one of my all-time yeah. favorite movies and uh so by the time i get my coffee i'm running and i pff, can't find him i'm like damn it all right so anyway getting on the flight, going to LA, get on the, on the flight. And sure enough, who's in seat two or one B. And I'm like, okay. So I go back to steerage class, (laughs) (laughs) grab out a, (laughs) grab a business card. And on the back of it, I start doing point form. Okay. You know, seven different special operations groups, three different countries, seven athletes, you know, 23 world records. And I just start bullet pointing on the back of the business card and takes me about halfway through the flight to get the courage up. And so finally I walk up to first. class. And I stand there and I have got my business card in the hand. And I said, nothing ventured, nothing gained. My name's Kirk. I'm a free diver. And as I'm about to hand him the card, he's like, how long can you hold your breath? And that goes on for like 15 minutes <laughs> where we're talking about scooters and free diving and movies and the cove and free diving and blah, 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 and all this sort of stuff until finally the flight attendant is like back to steers there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and so I thought, oh, you know, that was great. I wonder, you know, if he just put the card in the, <laughs> in the front seat and left it there. Yeah. So, here i am in truck lagoon a year later january of 2017 and we're doing technical scooter free diving and i get this email from a, a guy i had met doing some side scan sonar stuff with tim bullman and tim is like kirk answer your effing phone it's james cameron it's avatar your names come up at a meeting." And I'm like, in the middle of the South Pacific, technical scooter freediving. I'm thinking, this will make me sound cool, right? right. <laughs> technical scooter free diving, you know, in Chuck Lagoon. Can't talk at the moment. And so it's like, call, call us when you get back. So a week later, I'm back. And and I call, and I get brought down, flown down to Malibu. And I'm at at his place waiting to, to meet him. And, and he walks in, and I'm in the living room or, or dining room. And he walks mm-hmm. in, Kirk, James Cameron, nice to meet you. And I'm like, nice to meet you. And he says we've met before, haven't we? And I was like, yeah, I was wondering if you kind of remembered that. And um, it was on a plane, right? You gave me a business card. (laughs) I was like, yeah, that that was me. Um, And that's not what got me the job. What got me the job was just, you know, the things I had done, Mm -hmm. but he had started to tell me, you know, about what the idea of Avatar 2 and the sequels would be and how they were very much water-based films and, And bubbles will be an issue in the water. So we're thinking rebreathers, how do you do it? And I'm like, well, breath holding. I mean, here's how I would do it. And I'd introduce technical freediving. And after two hours, it's like, okay, listen, you're the guy. And I was like, all right. So I went home and got called by uh, one of the producers and said, okay, apparently you're our guy. So, Hmm. you know, and and I thought it was going to be a two month gig, me and five of my instructors training cast and crew for two months straight. And I got there and it just went on and on. I was getting one person here and there, and da 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 da, and you know, two months into it. And I'm like, how long am I here for? And they said, till <laughs> we finish shooting or you leave. And I was like, any idea how long that is? And they're like, supposed to be done this November. Mm-hmm. You know, this was 2017. So, Four years later, I'm still on Avatar. We're just in a hiatus. We still have stuff to shoot on three. We still have stuff to reshoot on three. It comes out in theaters a year from now, December 2022. And once it's in theaters, we'll finish three. And within a week of it being in the box office and they see the proceeds of two, they'll greenlight four and five. Wow. you know, they're supposed to come out every two years. So 2028 is the last one and they get less and less water, but the water sequences apparently just get more and more phenomenal and phenomenal. Um, but his, his idea, some of the stuff we've seen, like that's been really rendered for the Disney executives to see. I'm telling you, blow you away. Like not just the water stuff, but
1: Mm -hmm.
2: just, just, I mean, it's, it, you, your brain is sitting there looking at the quali- quality of the the CG and the effects, the performance capture, and just you know it's not real, but you're lost in how real and the reality of it is. It's just absolutely mind blowing, and and his idea of what the underwater world is, James Cameron's um, Big-time diver and ocean explorer considers himself a freediver first and foremost. The guy is no slack, right? I mean, when it comes to the ocean and his idea of Pandora underwater is just phenomenal.
0: I've heard you call that movie the most significant diving movie ever made. Uh, How do you think that's going to impact the diving community?
2: Get ready. If you're a professional in the diving industry and you're in freediving, kids will be going to Walmart to buy their metacaine mask, fins, and snorkel.
3: Mm-hmm. Th-
2: this, this will be a game changer for diving. And, you know, as professionals in the industry, just be ready to embrace it for, f- you know, for what it will be. Because it also has, a, you know, very much a family message and there's always an environmental exploitation message to it as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've often thought, how can I make a difference in the world? environmentally socially or whatever it is well helping james cameron bring his vision of what we're doing and what the world is like through the storytelling of avatar that's the biggest impact i can make if if i've helped contribute to the people understanding through story what it is that we all have this common connection together with the world we live in and the people we surround ourselves with and our impacts And so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. Mm, I've seen five minutes of it. (laughs) I'm very proud of it. And, and, uh, I think diving wise, yeah, it'll it is. It is the biggest diving movie ever made. And it's shot wet for wet, not dry for wet. This isn't Aquaman. Right. No one's hanging from a wire with a fan in their hair, making it look <laughs> like they're underwater. When yeah. you see Sigourney Weaver, Kate Winslet, or Zoe Saldana, or Sam Worthington, and this goes on and on. They all learned to free dive for months and months on end um, because what you see on screen is what you get them actually holding their breath underwater doing those scenes. Mm. And some of those people were like, that I means not water people at all I yeah. mean, out of the out of the kids i had to i had to do a little casting with them a water casting and one of them uh bailey i ranked second from the bottom from water ability like she did not like it and had phobias of it hmm. and ultimately she just ended up loving it at the end and her character went had to be this born in the ocean type thing, and then other people who were surfers and big time water people had to look like they've only been introduced it for the first time. So how I would change my training methods would vary on not just their ability, but what their character is supposed to be. Right? Wow,
0: sounds like there'd be a whole podcast just on uh, just on that uh, that training. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
2: Going back
4: to your involvement in filming The Cove, uh, it had an impact on you. Do you mind sharing that story with us?
2: Yeah, um, it had a lot of impacts. Um, I mean, it really opened my eyes. I mean, the first, the first thing was we had been shooting, not The Cove, but something at that time. And so we landed in Japan and we were picked up this is like three in the morning or something and we got picked up by uh, joe who we'd never met before but became integral in the team Mm -hmm. and he's like and we thought we were going to film with ama pearl divers and um, ama divers and uh, he's like listen there's been a change in plan i can't tell you what it is louis wants to tell you it's really significant and okay so we finally get to taiji and And uh, we get into our hotel room and everyone's there and the cameras are rolling. The lights are on, like, welcome Kirk, Mandy, you know, here you are in Taiji. And we're like, "Uh, okay, (laughs) what's going on? Louis begins to tell us about how they've discovered this, this cove, this dolphin slaughter that's going on. And it's really dangerous. It's probably, you know, the Yakuza are involved and some lady from an NGO a month earlier or weeks earlier had been, you know, assaulted and, beat up put in the hospital all her equipment smashed thrown on a train and told never to come back and you know you could get arrested on trumped up charges and held for 28 days and all these other things and i just remember when he started telling me about this slaughter and this cove that happens i remember uh i my brain went back to this nat geo uh, issue that my parents had always, from the day I was born, they bought Nat Geo's, right? Mm. And I just remember seeing this Nat Geo, and I thought, haven't we moved past that? Like, we're still doing that? Are you kidding yeah. me? And, and Louis said, listen, we realize this is a lot to ask of you, and if it's risky, and it's there's a lot of danger involved, and we understand if you don't want to continue forward on this. And Mandy and I looked at each other, and instinctively we said, sign us up, we got to do, right? and um and just learning about the politics and the real aspects of, of whales and and whaling <clears throat> and that trade that happens um and the wider oceans and the environment and you know I, I i still eat meat but nowhere near the amount that i did because of it and i have mm. a w- far greater appreciation for the pressure that our oceans are under uh and you know pressure on commercial fish stocks and and a a lot of these different themes came to to light and really kind of embraced them um wholeheartedly and i definitely understand them now and especially the interconnectedness of everything and then having you know brand new daughter at the time too was was just really powerful and it's kind of, what am I going to leave her? What are her and her kids going to eventually inherit in this world? Um, Just kind of how we're misusing it. So yeah, very impactful. And then I went on to shoot Racing Extinction and being a part of that one as well. Wow. yeah, It's
3: very sobering and, you know, I think overall impactful story that I think really it's something that we all have to kind of be conscious of as we uh, as we move along and try to figure out how we're going to preserve this, this planet that we're sharing. And, you know, I mean, Kirk, I, I can't say enough for the amount of time that you've, you've shared with us. And, you know, when I, when you listen to the stories and, and I, I've been kind of, I feel more like a spectator than even a host right now. I've just literally been sitting back in my chair uh, and thinking like, wow, these are incredible stories. And, and how could a person have, have accomplished all this uh in one diving career so aside from being pretty damn impressed i gotta ask you uh what's next for you uh what interesting projects do you have coming down the pipeline what can i tell you about (laughs) well i guess yeah it's always the question my
2: my life is more non-disclosure agreements than anything at this point um Yeah. So there, there's a lot of little different military things that I still do as far as Breathhold Special Operations programs go. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've recently joined the Liminal Collective, which is a group that's involved in the idea of democratizing human performance. So if you look Mm -hmm. at the members of Liminal Collective, I mean, it's people at the top of their field in human performance, be it spiritual, intellectual, medicine, you know, whatever it is. And and I become kind of the the, the ocean water diving uh, component of that. So I'm a performance advisor with there with them, and um, so I do a lot of aspects that way. There's still some more work on Avatar that needs to be done. But my you know, I was two and a half years on it full time, and then went to New Zealand for three months couple of times and so now avatar for me will be ongoing but it'll be you know a couple months at a time here and there as we as we ramp up and get ready for next uh the next episodes um yeah so um really what i'm enjoying i mean i'm loving this pandemic because for the first time i mean honestly <laughs> i've been with my daughter kyla who's gonna turn 12 this february and she's just this amazing young lady and i've been away most of her life Mm -hmm. uh traveling and so it's just been so amazing to be home connecting with her um recently i've i've started to engage my local community because i've lived here for 10 years in campbell river and it's so amazing here Just the diving and and the people and the, the hiking and everything is so amazing. But I've always been away. And it was just this summer that I really started engaging and finding some of the local free divers and kind of gathering everyone together to, you know, just make a little community. And then we've started doing some expedition diving. So I've started to get back into scuba. So here I am in dry suits and <laughs> doubles and deco bottles hanging off me again. And I'm reengaging in a lot of those components. And really I'm trying to take a career in all aspects of diving with. My last twenty years focused on the human performance of diving, and it's the efficiency of diving and the you know the water amplification of the human within the system, as opposed to scuba, which is the machine, right? The person, human hybrid machine. I mean, I've always said that you know scuba diving is like you know jumping in your Hummer, rolling up the window, air conditioning, and music on, and driving through the forest to see all the animals, right? And freediving is like putting on your backpack, lacing up your hiking boots, and going for that hike. Well, I'm now getting involved in a project that really has a human machine component to it again with Liminal Collective. And so I'm re engaging in scuba and rebreathers and all of those and melding into the freedive. So take a little bit of recreational, throw in some technical, a dash of freediving, stir it all together, and let's look at kind of what sort of hybrid we can create. I think scuba as an industry has been uh has been evolving especially technical drive diving has has really driven that but it really needs an influence of a very high evolved level of free diving back into it to really move it forward in some evolutionary jump like advances and and also part of um, my liminal collective thing is we We have an opportunity into the future uh, moving forward on uh, a liquid breathing project. And so uh, you'll have seen Code 21, my talk there, and I allude to it. That's about all I can tell you at this point. Mm.
3: Okay. Well, I was going to ask you more about that, but uh, sounds like that forms part of your non-disclosure <laughs> I'll agreement. I'll have to kill you uh, if I
2: tell you more. All right. <laughs> all right. I,
3: I want to live right. because I you're want right. to do more diving. So I, That's <laughs> I imagine in 20 refrain. years when
2: you're putting on your liquid breathing system and going out and just having fun in the Cayman Wall at 200 meters for two hours, right? I like it. I so like there. where this is going.
0: So I'll put it mm-hmm. in my calendar. Yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> where can people find you online, Kirk?
2: Oh, good question. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's see. Well, performancefreediving.com. Um, I am on Facebook. I think I have an Instagram. I don't <laughs> go to it much. Um <laughs> sure. Liminal Collective, you can find me under under that as well. I'm not too much out there.
1: What keeps you diving, Kirk?
2: Therapy. It's my therapy. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it there it's a compulsion sometimes unhealthy, that's why I only have two lives left um, <laughs> um yeah, I don't know it's just it's I just connect more under the water it's it's you know it's i am like a lot of people in this space who just feel more comfortable under the water than on land. I think there's a solace and a solitude about it um in diving and you know you get these enhanced senses like you get hearing is amazing you got super hearing and and um and free diving i just love the the change in the physiology and and you know just becoming that water person but i know when times get really challenging and trying that going for a dive is um you know, you put it all away, you put all that baggage behind you, but you put it in the black box. Okay. So to speak. And, uh, and it's just you and diving and, and nothing else. And, and then when you get into high performance aspects of diving, like technical diving and things like that, you, there's just this level of, of focus or flow state initiation in your psychology and, and everything that you do that, that, brings about a a unique amount of awareness around you. You know, it's also a great endorphin rush, right? (laughs) We all enjoy it. Nothing (laughs) like coming out of a dive and having your opioid receptors tickled by endorphins, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're you're out there. It's this time of the year when, you know, I'd usually get off the road having just been diving for 48 weeks. And now I've got two weeks over Christmas where I'm not going to dive. And that's when I start to get a little antsy and... Kind of moody in a bit, because you're going through your withdrawal symptoms because you're not getting any endorphins anymore, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think i don't know i'm trying to figure out your question and articulate it because it 's a hard thing mm. to tell you and articulate exactly what compels me into it, and there's been a lot of other opportunities where I could have made a ton ton more money uh, that would have kept me dry and I couldn't think of anything worse in life <laughs> uh, personally.
1: I think that than, answers uh, it.
2: Right? <laughs> you know, having not been making my living and my lifestyle and my life in the water.
1: Mm,
0: that's mm. amazing.
2: Definitely answered the question.
0: Well, Kirk, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Uh, hanging out for two episodes uh, whether you know you did it or not uh, we, okay. had, we had a nice long talk <laughs> okay. and uh, and it was it was fantastic so much I got so many more questions uh, I think we have to get you back on five or six more times just to answer them all yeah. but uh, but yeah it was really great I really appreciate you sharing so much with us and uh, it was just a wonderful time
2: thanks for joining us
1: yeah thank you so much
2: Oh, it was a lot of fun you guys and I really appreciate it and I uh, hope we can uh, do it again soon thank you
0: Well, that was an amazing second half interview uh, with Kirk Kroc. Uh, Man, I'm still just uh, blown away by his experiences and the fact that he uh, he was uh, so willing to come on for two episodes and share so much with us and go into so much detail. And man, uh, the stuff that guy has been a part of is uh, enough for six lifetimes. And he's still like he said after the interview uh, that he one day he'll grow up. And have to get a real job. Maybe he hopes not. <laughs> uh, we should all be so, should all be so lucky to find something we do so love so much. Um, speaking of things I love so much, I love April's pro tips. April, you have a pro tip for us
4: tonight. I do have a pro tip for you guys tonight. Um, this one actually came from one of our listeners, Oren. who's given us uh, a few suggestions over you know, the past two years on uh, content, but he was saying that uh, a tip from a local uh, retired commercial diver in his area was to bring a thermos of hot water for your dry suit hood. Um, It just helps with the brain freeze or in between dives. If you're doing multiple dives, it's, uh, you know, if you got to put on a wet hood, it's much better to put on a warm wet hood than a Mm -hmm. uh, cold wet hood. Um, But I mean, this is something that here, I think a lot of local divers do, uh, whether it's for like your hood or your gloves, or if you do dive wet all year, people will dump some uh, warm water down their suit or even uh, at the shop when we run courses. We'll do the uh, hot water cooler hot tub for uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) our students. But uh, I guess in general, I'm just talking about a few tips on how to stay warm. Uh, Now that things are cooling off, it's that time of year. So uh, one thing I found this year was the fourth element glove liners work really well. They're like a two mil neoprene. So if your glove does leak, which Mm. mine did on Sunday, uh, number one, at first it kind of helps keep your hand a little bit more dry just where the neoprene it like blocks it a bit from going through. Um, Mm. And then when it does eventually make its way into the glove, uh, it does warm up a little bit. So it's it's not like having a soaking wet, you know, uh cotton glove or something. It, it it does uh feel a little bit better when they leak, but they're also really warm. Uh and the other thing I recently got my hands on is my heated vest. So I got one of the uh, Ventures D613, uh which is the back and front heated vest, which was amazing. So I guess my pro tip this week is uh, I don't know get yourself some fourth element glove liners and a heated vest.
0: <laughs> but if but if you don't, then bring some warm water to to dip exactly. your gloves in. Just have to be careful with hot water. Don't don't bring too hot of water because you don't yes. want to uh, scald yourself. And, I think
4: uh, warm water is the key word.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just thermoses are a lot better now than they were even five or ten years ago. And uh, yes they'll keep that water near boiling if you uh, pour it in out of a kettle, you know, or you used to have to pour it in out of a kettle just to make it warm uh, a few hours later. So yeah, those awesome, uh, awesome tips and uh, make sure you dive with Jeff. So he brings hot chocolate and that's the real pro tip there.
4: That's your, that's your pro (laughs) tip this week for all you uh, Halifax divers go diving with Jeff Harding for the hot chocolate.
0: (laughs) And uh He's a great diver around our local world, but uh, you also have some dive girls around the real world. Uh, Who do you have this week?
4: Yes, I have back to back segments this week. I don't know how it happened, but here we are. Mixing it up a little bit this week on the segment. Cause it's our show and we can do whatever we want. But, uh, <laughs> okay. um, my dive girl around the world this week is Jill Heinert. I know we've had her on the show twice before. Um, but myself and Justin actually got to meet Jill in person, uh, on Friday, which was just totally surreal for me. I mean, she's, uh, definitely my, like she's my diving hero. Um, So just to meet her and hear some of her stories in person and she took out her iPad and was showing like photos that she had taken and just talking about things she was doing. Um, And then also like myself, just sharing stories with her and just casually having dive shop chats with Jill Heinert was just a totally wild wild experience. So, um, yeah, that was really cool. I got to give her a tour of uh, Torpedo Rays, which she was saying it's one of the nicer dive shops she's been to in Canada. And uh, we have tons of inventory. So that was like super cool and, you know, <laughs> felt good to have Jill Earth tell you that your dive shop is nice. Um, nice. But it was just awesome. I got her to sign uh, my copy I have of her book. And, uh, yeah, it was just totally awesome. I, I left there just like feeling like, I don't know, maybe what, uh, other people feel like when they meet like Brad Pitt, I was like stunned. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's, yeah, that's cool. She was a nice lady, definitely. And, uh, it was fun. uh, I, I made it there for the last few minutes of, uh, yeah. of the, of the hangout of the dive shop chat um uh, and uh, yeah she was uh, super cool super just like cool. she was in the podcast uh and uh, yeah the pictures were great uh the they're still doing work on those muscles that she was talking about that yeah. uh, that form a lure that take the shape of a fish that other fish eat so the muscle can be eaten and reproduce by laying uh it's you know whatever's in the gills of these fish what an amazing like mind blowing uh evolution that had to take place just to make that work anyway. Yeah. It was it was cool. She they're still working on that, still studying that stuff.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, she's uh she's she's always got something going on.
4: And who knew that there was, you know, a ten kilometer long cave in Ottawa. I didn't. But yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Super cool. Basically <laughs> in her backyard. Right? Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. But yeah, it's she's cool. and she's also just like super like humble and down to earth and easy to talk to. So it was, uh, it's the best. Mm -hmm. Great. Yes. Definitely. So that's my, that's my segment this week. I know, uh, it's not my traditional way. I do dive girls around the world, but we make up our own rules around here. So (laughs) that's, That's uh, that's my dive girl around the world this week.
0: Great. Thank you for that, April. Appreciate it. Awesome. Um, Yeah, definitely. And I will thank again, kirk crock for joining us on this two-part episode of dive in the podcast and thank you again to our listeners for staying and listening to both episodes it's been a ton of fun i hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did so thank you again nick for setting up the interview and doing everything you do on the show every week absolute pleasure and april same to you
4: Yep. Yeah, thanks for having me
0: i thank amit but he had to log off because he is an early bedtime tonight so thanks amit for everything you do on the show we wouldn't be here without you as well <laughs> don't forget uh you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash dive in and get some fun rewards for doing so visit our website diveinpod.com for all the links you need episodes merch and so much more on social media you can follow
3: me at idive okay
4: i'm at april weikert
0: i'm at nicholaswinkler.com
3: Next week, we speak to Claire Paris, a diver who has pioneered scientific freediving.
0: This episode of Dive in the Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba.
3: Thanks
1: for listening.